This morning, today begins the Holy Triduum, the, the holiest time of the year uh, when we walk with our Lord along his passion um, through the Last Supper and the agony in the garden, the trial, and the crucifixion, um, and eventually his death and burial. And then just in a few short days, we'll be celebrating the joy of the resurrection. And so uh, particularly as this Holy Thursday and this whole Holy Triduum looks different from what we would normally expect it to be. And as we are um, in in circumstances that I don't think the church has ever found. I, I saw a video or uh, something that said that this will be... Um, for the first time, for the first time since the resurrection itself, um, many places of the world, there won't be a, a public celebration of the resurrection. The, the people cannot come together to celebrate our Lord's resurrection for the first time since, since the event actually happened. And um, as we turn to our Lord in these um, meditations over the next few mornings, it'll be good to... Um, from our own homes or wherever we're listening or if we're listening at a later date um, to really focus on the mysteries of what's happening. Maybe sometimes we get so caught up in like, okay, well, I can just, I can just go to church tonight, right? And then we, we because we did that, um, which is objectively better, um, but that we're missing some of the, the depth of what's happening that we're, we're going to miss, um, not really enter into the... The mystery of our Lord's passion, death, and resurrection. Today is Holy Thursday, and um, Holy Thursday we celebrate primarily the institution of two sacraments, the priesthood and the Eucharist. Uh, and the, obviously the, the central aspect of today is our Lord's um, The Last Supper. And the institution of these of these two great sacraments in the life of the church, the priesthood and the Eucharist. Our Lord says in Luke's Gospel, When the hour had come, he sat at table and the apostles with him, and he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. That Jesus desired, he, he greatly desired, earnestly desired is his translation, um, to eat the Passover with his disciples, with his apostles, with his friends, that our Lord has gathered uh, with his friends, and that he, he desires this. And in particularly in instituting uh, the Most Holy Eucharist, in setting the pattern for his sacrifice, um, our Lord desires that we participate at that Eucharist. Uh, our Lord desires the fact that bread and wine actually become the body and blood and soul and divinity of our Lord is... Um, it's something that we should hold so dear. It's a gift beyond which we could have possibly imagined. And that more than our desiring to receive Holy Communion, I know I've said this a number of times these past days, 
but more than our desiring to receive Holy Communion, Lord, you desire to be received by us. God of the whole universe, our Lord and Savior, who died for us, he desires to be received by us. And so while we may hopefully be be distressed at being unable to receive Holy Communion, and particularly in this Paschal Triduum, like, not that, that God in himself can be upset, but our Lord, in, in probably seeing in his humanity at the Last Supper, in seeing what would occur 2,000 years later, um, would be saddened. He desires to be received by us, and he's not. Like, uh, our Lord didn't give us the Eucharistic um, adoration and being present with you, Lord, here in the tabernacle and being with you in prayer is um, good. But you primarily institute the Eucharist so that we can receive you. So that you could be our nourishment uh, along the way. So that you can give your own life to us. And to not be able to do that, to not be nourished by you, uh, is very difficult for us. But also, I, I think we could say, uh, would have caused our Lord, in foreseeing this moment, sadness. A real sadness. And so uh, that can be, um, we should turn to that. That when we're upset, like he's upset too, right? There's nothing worse sometimes than being upset about something and, and someone else who's related to the situation is not. They're like, oh, whatever. Like, no, no, like we're upset um, and our Lord is. And if we're not upset, if we're like, great, this is a vacation from church, like what? Um, then we should get upset because our Lord is um He's saddened by this, and we should be sad. Never losing our peace. We should keep great peace that we're staying with our Lord, but there should be um, this desire in our hearts and recognizing that that desire uh, also matches our Lord's desire. He gives us the greatest gift he possibly could. Our Lord gives us his own body and blood. You think, like, how can God humble himself anymore, right? Like, God already became one of us, became a little baby, unable to even hold his head up, um, became, became like us in all things except sin. God humbled himself. And then he even became obedient. Uh, that's going to be a, an antiphon that the church is going to pray consistently throughout this time. He became obedient even to the point of death, death on a cross. Um, God is so lowers himself for us. Can he do any more? Yes. Our Lord lowers himself even more to become our own food. He feeds us. He, he, how can God become more humble than he has? Well, by becoming our food, our nourishment. He wants to give himself totally to us. And so when we receive our Lord in the Holy Eucharist, the fullness of his body, blood, soul, and divinity, um, we're, we're nourished by our own God. And rather, some of the saints say, um, the Eucharist, rather than, you know, normally we, we take our food and as we eat it, it gets broken down and it gets turned into us, right? If the more food we eat, the more us there is. Um, and we become bigger usually. But that doesn't happen with Holy Communion. When we, when we receive our Lord, 
we don't turn him into us. He turns us into him. Uh, he transforms us. And we are uh, nourished and, and vivified with divine life through receiving our Lord in Holy Communion. We should make a, a lot of good spiritual communions um, today and tomorrow and in these days. We should be telling our Lord that we want to receive him. We, so that when, when the moment comes and when we do receive him again, we don't take it for granted. We're not just getting distracted in the communion line. We're not just whatever. We're not deciding we're not going to receive communion because we want to have that extra ice mocha latte. Uh, no, no. Like, this is so important. And may we never uh, take receiving Holy Communion for granted again. Our Lord institutes this um, Eucharist. And he, he says, no one takes my life from me. I freely lay down. We'll see that as well in the washing of the feet. But this is the pattern of his sacrifice. So it's, you know, all of the liturgies of these days are one liturgy. Uh, because what our Lord begins at the Last Supper is consummated at Calvary. It's fulfilled. Uh, and so our Lord lays down his life in the upper room. And then for him to die on the cross is the completion of that laying down of his life, which already occurred. And so when our Lord gives us his body, blood, soul, and divinity, when he takes bread and says, take this all of you and eat of it, this is my body. The child's filled with wine. Take this all of you and drink from it. This is the chalice of my blood, the blood of the new and eternal covenant to be poured out, which will be poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Like this is, this is the sacrifice that our Lord offers that then is fulfilled upon the cross. We should never see the Last Supper as just like a, a warm-up act or whatever. Like it's all one sacrifice. It's the one sacrifice of Christ on the cross. He lays down his life and he institutes the pattern that we would be able to follow and participate. So now at every Mass in which we participate, we are present at Calvary. We're there with our Lord. We are brought um, to his sacrifice, which he instituted for us. Our Lord, in order to institute this in sacrifice, institutes the sacrament of the Holy Priesthood. Uh, that in order to give us his own body, blood, soul, and divinity in the Most Holy Eucharist, our Lord chooses his apostles uh, who would follow after him, who would be other Christ, but they would be conformed um, to Christ as the head, right? So we're all by our baptism. We are all other Christ on account of our baptism. We're all called to tremendous holiness on account of that. But the ministerial priesthood um, differs, not just in function, but in, in degree. It's a, it's a greater conformity to Christ, but particularly to Christ the head. Um, and it's a total giving of oneself to stand in the place of our Lord, um, to be that visible witness and to act in his name. And so the priest doesn't say um, on behalf of the community, like this is the body of our Lord. Um, no, this is my body that our Lord uh, gives his apostles the gift of the priesthood. Uh, and we should have always a tremendous respect uh, and love for the priesthood that our Lord gives us um, 
disgrace in that throughout the 2,000 years of the church, men have uh, continued to be conformed to him. And usually not the best, right? A number of the priests that maybe we've met, like, you know, like, okay, these may not be the, the brightest bulbs in the pack, right? These maybe aren't, uh, or even the holiest, right? Because all his new priests leave. They all leave him. Even John leaves, but he comes back, right? They all leave. Uh, his, his mother stays and a number of the women stay. Uh, and the priesthood isn't based upon the fact that these guys were holier than everyone else or smarter than everyone else. That's clearly not the case in the Gospels. Um, but he chooses them to stand in his place, uh, to, to represent him and to act in his name with his own power, that the priest shares in the power of Christ and is totally conformed to our Lord. Uh, in the directory for the life and ministry of priests, it even says like, you know, when you see a priest wearing a cassock, um, it's it's a more fitting sign of the total giving of oneself. It's the it's the total um, identification with Christ. This full, um, visible conformity to Jesus Christ. The priesthood is seen uh, to be instituted in a very particular way in John's Gospel, and this is what is traditionally read at the Mass tonight. That our Lord, um, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper, laid aside his garments, and tied a towel around himself. And then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and wiped them with the towel that was tied around him. He came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered, what, am I, what I am doing you do not know now, but afterwards you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no part in me. Simon Peter said, Lord, not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, whoever is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet. But he is clean all over. And you are all clean, but not all of you, for he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, you are not all clean. When he had washed their feet, taken up his garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you know what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you also should do as I have done to you. Our Lord washes their feet, which is a sign, the washing is, is in the Old Testament, it's a sign of this preparation for the receiving of the gift of the priesthood. Um, he washes uh, his disciples' feet and then tells them, do the same. And also in instituting the Eucharist, you know, do this in memory of me. It's a command. Woe, woe to priests who don't act in the name of our Lord, who don't do anything, who who just um, try to get by. It, it's in um, the book of the prophet Ezekiel. I've been praying with it a little bit uh, recently. You know, woe to the shepherds who feed themselves and let the, the flock go hungry. Um, you know, our Lord is, um, he expects his priests to be totally in the game, like totally there, all in. Um, he washes their feet. It's interesting, Pope Benedict in his uh, book, Journey to Easter, uh, 
also kind of points to the washing of the feet as um, a prefigurement for the sacrament of confession, uh, which our Lord would give after the resurrection. Uh, that uh, to, you know, someone who's already been, someone who's bathed, baptism, uh, is clean, but needs to still, we need to still have our, our feet washed that get dirty. And so priests similarly, um, the priest celebrates Holy Mass, uh, but also hears confessions in the name of our Lord, uh, but with uh, the power that's given to them by the priesthood. Um, that when someone has, has been washed in baptism, uh, but still needs to be, uh, again, healed of sin, either grave or uh, venial, immortal or venial, um, that they need to have their feet washed and that priests are supposed to be available to um, hear confessions, always available. Um, Pope Francis uh, tells a story when he was a young priest and he was um, running, he had to catch a train to get somewhere. And uh, so he's going, he's going through the um, cathedral and this man comes up and says, um, Father, is there um, any chance you could hear my confession? And, and he said, like, there's another priest. He's coming out. He'll be here in a little while. You know, just hang, hang out for him. And he kept walking. He stopped and he turned around. He's like, no, no, this is why I'm a priest. Like, forget, forget about my train and all of that. And he said, come on to the confessional. Right? The, other, the other priest is going to be done. Come on to the confessional. Right? That's it. Like, priests always should be available to hear confessions. Priests should always be available um, to wash the feet of God's children. Um, and so our Lord gives us this, this sacrament of the priesthood. On this Holy Thursday, um, he also gives us the, the new commandment, the mandatum novum, the new commandment, um, which all of us need to, to follow. The new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. This is the new commandment, our Lord. A new commandment I give you. Love one another. And that can be so taken, like, oh, we got to just love you. Like, no, love, love one another, but even as I have loved you, love one another. And how does our Lord love us? He dies for us. Like this is how our Lord dies for us. He says it just a little bit further on in one of my favorite um, lines from this whole thing. Um, this is my commandment. Love one another as I have loved you. No greater love has no man than this, to lay down his life for his friends. Like that's it. How did our Lord love us? He died for us. How are we as his followers supposed to love one another, that we lay down our lives for each other. And we do it in, in the small ways uh, throughout the whole day. That we can just small, uh, smile, right? To the apostle of just smiling at people. Um, not in a creepy way, but just in a, you know, okay, like let's, let's just smile and, and say hello. And particularly people that are, we're frustrated with maybe, to just smile, to be charitable and gentle to say nice words, to compliment each other. Particularly in these days, if we're stuck at home with the same people and we start noticing all their faults, because we all have faults and they probably notice ours, well, we should compliment each other. And we should build each other up, right? And that's gonna, we're gonna die to ourselves maybe doing that. 
sometimes it's a, it's a greater death to ourselves to just say something nice to someone that's on our nerves. Okay, lay down your life. Mandatum novum. I give you a new commandment. Love one another, even as I have loved you. And that this is how the whole world will know, um, will know him. This is how the world will know that, that Christians are, are Christians. That we are the disciples of the Lord. If we love one another. They'll know because we're so smart. Because of our great preaching. They'll know because of our tremendous technological skills. With being present on the internet in his time. No, 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 no. They'll know if we love one another. And if we don't love one another. If we don't love one another. Then we, um, then they, people won't know that we follow our Lord. And they won't know him. If we can, if we are constantly talking bad about each other, if we're constantly splitting up into rival parties, and if all people know about the church is the different ideological divides, and this person's politics, if all we talk about is, is money and finances and running buildings, and this is how people will know you're my, you're my disciples, you run a good organization. Like, no, love one another. That's what we're called to, to love one another. That's how they'll know. That's how that, you know, and it's, this is a stinging critique. Um, it was uh, Mahatma Gandhi said, if, if all Christians acted like Christians, there'd be no non-Christians. What a, what a stinging critique that is. If all Christians acted like Christians, meaning if we loved one another, if we really did, There'd be no non-Christians. Everyone would want to get on board with this thing. But it's through our weakness and our sin that we fail in this mandatum novum. A little further on in his Last Supper discourse, our Lord um, says, I am the vine and my father is the vine dresser, uh, that we need to um, stick with him. I am the vine and my father is the vine dresser. He says his words to us, Tonight, every branch of mine that bears no fruit, he takes away. Now, here's an interesting thing. Um, like, that's it. We, we have to bear fruit. We're called to bear fruit. There, don't, don't let your life be barren, uh, is the first point in, in the way by saying, Jose Maria. Don't let your life be barren. Like, we, we're called to bear fruit. We have to. We, we can't let our lives be sterile and barren. We... Uh, have we won people for our Lord, particularly through our love? We're the vine. Christ is the vine. The Father's the vine dresser. We're the branches. Every branch of mine that bears no fruit, he takes away. The, those, those paths, those, those who profess to be disciples of our Lord but are bearing no fruit, he takes away. But, Every, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. And what is pruning? Uh, pruning is getting cut, right? When you prune something, you're, you're chopping away. Um, and I remember reflecting on that. Um, I reflect on it all the time, that it, uh, either way, you're getting chopped, right? Either way, you're getting cut. Um, you're getting cut off if you're not bearing any fruit, but if, even if you are bearing fruit, you're getting pruned. And maybe we can feel in this time of, of shutdown, 
that like we were just bearing fruit. Like there was, there was good stuff happening. Particularly here at St. Francis, there was good stuff happening and we had good momentum and it was working. And there's just so much good happening. And we still get caught, right? He still comes and, and clips us. But why? So we could bear more fruit. But it'll be a deeper fruit. It'll be, it'll be more life-giving. So we could be, bear more fruit. There's no escaping getting caught one way or another. Um, but our Lord continually prunes us so we can bear more fruit. So we can give ourselves more to him in love. So we can love him more. In the spiritual life, either you're progressing or you're declining. Like that's just a basic principle of spiritual theology. Either you're growing or you're shrinking. And so we in this time are being called to grow. Uh, that we, we are going to grow in love uh, for our Lord. Turning back to, to the priesthood a little bit. But also, as we get to the toward the end of our Lord's Last Supper discourse, um, he prays. Uh, then it's the high priestly prayer of our Lord. It's chapter 17 of John's Gospel. And these are going to be coming up in the daily readings uh, throughout the Easter season. So we'll have a chance to pray with them a little bit more um, throughout daily Mass. But our Lord prays that uh, his disciples may be sanctified in the truth. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. I remember that uh, that line was was prayed at my diaconate ordination, and so I, it still um, it was set to music, and and it still um, is a very emotional one for me. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world as as our lord was sent into the world uh his priests are sent into the world to be other christ but we all on account of our baptism as well are sent to be uh other christ that we have to be christ himself that we're sent into the world uh confirmation is a sacrament of initiation uh which sends a strengthens us in the struggle of interior life but also strengthens us for mission so we can go out. You're not fully a disciple of our Lord until you're an apostle, until you go out and spread the gospel, that this is part of our, our mission and our identity. Sanctify them in the truth. And there's a very beautiful reflection that Pope Benedict um, offered a number of years ago. He um, was praying with this, this passage. He says... On the eve of my priestly ordination, I opened the sacred scripture because I wanted to receive once more a word from the Lord for that day, for my future journey as a priest. My gaze fell on this passage. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And then I realized the Lord is speaking about me. He's speaking to me. The very same thing will be accomplished tomorrow in me. When all is said and done, we're not consecrated by rites, even though rites are necessary. The bath in which the Lord immerses us is himself, the truth in person. Priestly ordination means being immersed in him, immersed in the truth. I belong in a new way to him and thus to others, that 
His kingdom may come. We need to pray that our priests continually be sanctified in the truth. Our Lord is truth. Uh, and then we all, as well as his, um, as his holy people, uh, that we need to be sanctified in our Lord. We're made holy by being conformed to our Lord. As we conclude this time of prayer, our Lord um, goes out from the Last Supper. Um, he goes out across the Kidron Valley, and that's where we're going to pick up tomorrow. Um, but he prays with his agony in the garden. So maybe as we conclude our Holy Thursday later today, uh, we can resolve to stay with our Lord as well in the garden, um, to be there with him in his prayer and his agony as his uh, moment of passion is at hand. Uh, tonight, you know, I always, um, it always seems so wrong coming home from Holy Thursday Mass and um, like you, you shouldn't be watching TV tonight. It's not a time to just watch whatever the, the newest TV show is and to do all that. Like our Lord is, is in his agony in the garden and I'm not just going to go watch some sitcom or garbage TV even or, you know, no, none of that. We should stay with our Lord tonight. And so let's resolve as we go through this day to be close with our Lord and then to stay with him in his agony uh, even tonight uh, so that we can greater appreciate and be prepared for um, the consummation of what is started at the Last Supper and fulfilled on the cross and that going and staying with our Lord tonight, um, we too can give our lives with him tomorrow.